Hey, what's up everybody? My name is Joshua T. Berglund and welcome to the Libmana Worldwide Multimedia Broadcast Network. Usually when you say that, it's introducing a show, but I don't really have a show name anymore. I'm just going by my name. So I'm blessed to have you here. This is not really a show, but what this is, is a conversation. I love to have conversations with people. I love picking people's brains and where most people want to interview and it gets into the standard, ask a question, wait for an answer. I get bored with that. I love to set people off where they can just free flow and talk and share from their heart, but also give us some insight in what they're all about. So I'm blessed that you're here. And today we're in for like it's one of the it, I'm fascinated by this guy. Uh, he's had such a well-rounded career. And typically what happens when you've seen people that have been accomplished in a lot of different areas, usually there's a connection point. And I can't see the connection here. Like I'm trying to. And I'm going to get into it. Well, I'll give you a couple just so just so to whet your appetite a little bit. But hospital administrator to SWAT team hostage negotiator. Now, I've tried to negotiate myself out of some bills before at the hospital, but I'm wondering if there's a connection there. But there's so much more. He's a college athlete. He's a coach. He's a best-selling author. And his book even is fascinating to me. But I'm keep going. How does this all connect? So instead of me trying to figure it out, I'm going to let him tell us. But anyway, so blessed to have you here. I want to give a quick shout out to our sponsors, Mitra 9. Um, I love it. As I told you, I've been saying I am tired of energy drinks. Um, caffeine has zero effect on me anymore, which is really disappointing because, I mean, what's the point? No one really likes the taste of coffee, do they? It's kind of like beer. You just teach yourself to like, like it eventually. Of course, then again, I say that my mom likes the taste of beer, which is the weirdest thing. But anyway, uh, I want to give a shout out, though, to Mitra 9 because it's been an incredible uh, alternative to energy drinks. There is no caffeine. There is a version with caffeine in it. However, the one that I enjoy the most, there's no caffeine. In fact, it's all just botanicals and herbs and things like that. But it's fantastic. And if you are crashing midday or you're just having a bad day, instead of grabbing, grabbing for the bottle of vodka or the bottle of tequila, Grabbing Mitra 9. I'm a big fan of it. Love it. Can't wait to drink this during the show. And I uh, also want to give a shout out to the, I have so many beverages. I'm going to have to use the bathroom before uh, we actually broadcast. But as you know, I'm a big time advocate for stopping plastic pollution. Look, I know we got to use some plastic here and there. I know it's important. It seems like plastic isn't everything. But the one place you don't want it is your freaking food. And that's where it ends up. When we pollute the earth, with plastic, what happens is it gets into the oceans, the animals start eating it, and that becomes a problem. Because the, 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 the animals that we're eating that consume this plastic aren't exactly pooping it out. So, look, other than the fact that this we have this beautiful planet to live on and who wants to see litter all over it, we can all take action to prevent pollution, right? So, Pathwater, drinkpathwater.com is the website. You can use my name as the promo code. But they are fighting against plastic pollution by giving these reusable bottles for only two bucks. This is not, it's great tasting water, all the pH, all, the, all that fancy stuff that you care about. But the thing that I care about the most, other than having a good tasting water, is fighting against plastic pollution. And Pathwater does that. So again, go to drinkpathwater.com, uh, use promo code Joshua T. Berglund, and you'll save 20% and get free shipping. So check them out. All right. Today, like I said, our guest is awesome. You're going to want to, like, 
you're just going to want to hang out for this one. Uh, we'll be about an hour long. So I hope you enjoy. And also, really, really excited about this. So check out our sponsors in this video, but also got a little surprise for you. The red carpet, the red carpet, the red carpet. You want them rolling out the red carpet, the red carpet, the red carpet. You want the finest things, the diamond rings, designer jeans, all minor things in the widest scheme. But at what cost to realize your dreams? Been bleeding in the wheel more, put the crown of thorns on still more. My mic bloody cause I kill more, but I'm still poor. Bottom is where I started, but I get to the top and park it. Plug up in a harlot, my battery needs charging. And to reach my target is the illest in the market. It's some liquid from my arteries, will spill onto the carpet, yeah. Everybody want fame, nobody wanna work for it. Want them all to know your name, don't wanna see no hurt for it. You wanna rolling out the red carpet, the red carpet, the red. Man, I I love my wife. <laughs> she she's made so many amazing uh, improvements to our broadcast. I am so grateful for her. So that's what I'm grateful for today. My wife. I love my wife. She's amazing. She's my best friend in the world. But I freaking love her. And she's brilliant. She's talented. So we have a lot of fun at the Live Mono Worldwide Foundation. And the fact that we actually get to broadcast and uh, create other broadcasts for people and create other shows and create film and write books. And I mean, what a blessing. Like all the craziness that's going on in the world right now. The thing is, is that God said it was all going to happen. So, but he also said, don't fear. And so while my heart is with the people, actually, it's not just Ukraine. There's a lot of innocent lives that are going to be destroyed. The men and women in uniform that represent the United States military, God bless them. And my prayers, any of them that are sent over there, the ones that are already stationed near that area. Uh, but also I think of the innocent lives that are in Russia and Ukraine and other parts of the Middle East that are going to be affected by this. And we're all going to be affected by it. We all are. Um, and so I'll leave my political comments out of this. But just ask that we all pray uh, for for all of the innocent lives that are going to be affected. And guess what? You're, you're one of those innocent lives that's going to be affected. But anyway, I don't want to spend too much time on that. Um, because, again, I believe that God is still great, even with all the chaos that's happening in the world. I believe the promises on our lives are every bit as real and true and alive today as they were any other day. And I believe with all my heart, and look, I don't try to make every one of these shows about Jesus and God, but the fact is this, that I'm remiss. I'm only here because of my relationship with the Lord. I'm only getting to do the things that I get to do because of that. So I don't believe that those promises change because there's chaos in the world at all. In fact, if anything, it furthers my faith. So 
anyway, enough of that. But please keep uh, the innocent lives that are affected and what's going on in the Middle East. Uh, please keep everyone in your prayers. Military, innocent citizens, everybody. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I'm super excited uh, about our guest. I had to blow him off, uh, not for, because I wanted to, um, but I had another scheduling conflict that kept us from doing this interview before. But I believe timing is always perfect. And I think you guys are just going to absolutely love our guests. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome my new friend, Mr. Terry Tucker. How are you, sir? I'm great, Joshua. Thanks for having me on. I'm looking forward to talking with you. Yeah, I'm sorry about that long intro. I get a little excited sometimes. So, and I and it's, I think I like to hear myself talk too. Maybe that's what it is. But anyway, uh, so blessed to have you here, man. First things first. What are you grateful for today, and why? Uh, I guess I'll answer that with, I think, the same reason I'm grateful for what's gotten me through this last 10-year battle with cancer. And it's what I call my three Fs, faith, family, and friends. They have, they have sustained me. They've gotten me through some pretty, pretty dark times. And so I would say those are the three things I'm, I'm grateful for. And I think I always will be grateful for those things. I think that may be all you need. <laughs> so... I mean, that's that's like the perfect recipe to success or at least a joy filled life. Um, and I'd rather have joy than happiness any day. So I got So may I ask what kind of cancer are you 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 defeating right now? Uh, I have a rare form of melanoma that appears on the bottom of the feet or the palms of the hands. And mine, unfortunately, appeared on the bottom of my foot. I, uh, I don't have my foot anymore, and I don't have my leg anymore because of the cancer. Oh, my gosh. Man, I, that's how I lost my dad, um, was melanoma. And, uh, you know, I didn't have a great relationship with him until after his death, which that's a whole other conversation. But you know, I watched what melanoma did to him. And uh, he whipped it when he was younger, had it removed out of his arm. He used to tell me he had this giant scar. He used to tell me that a bear got in a bear fight and he kicked he killed the bear with his hands what he always told us as kids and i believed it too because you know you believe everything your dad says sure right? well at least i did <laughs> so like, but he told me that and i finally figured out that it was actually melanoma um it did come back and it metastasized i think i said that correctly and it just wreaked havoc on his body his lymph nodes his brain and i you know you everyone always thinks that melanoma is just it's a, a skin cancer. That's how they look at it. Oh, you've been out in the sun too long. That's how they see it. But I don't know too many people that get the sunshine on their foot. So can you talk about how like this happened? Because I, again, that, that, that surprises me. Melanoma on your foot or hands. Like, how is that even possible? Yeah. So uh, I'll, I'll give you my, my story. But to, to answer sort of the second half of your question, so there's the regular type of melanoma that it sounds like your father had, where yeah. you know you're you're you get too much sun exposure and that. And then there's a, a, a very rare form that I have that appears on the bottom of the feet or the the palms of the hands, and that's called acral litiginous melanoma. And it really it it, it has nothing to do with sun exposure. Uh, melanoma is is called melanoma because it's it's about the melon, which is the the pigment in our skin. And then there's an even rarer form of melanoma that appears in the mucous membrane. So in your nose or your mouth or something like that, but it's still melanoma. So 2012, I'm a girls high school basketball coach in Texas. 
and I have a callus break open on the bottom of my foot right below my third toe. And initially, I didn't think much of it because as a coach, you're on your feet a lot. But after a couple of, couple of weeks of it not healing, I went to see a podiatrist, a foot doctor friend of mine. And he took an x-ray and he said, Terry, I think you have a little cyst in there and I can cut it out. And he did. And he showed it to me. Just a little gelatin sack with some white fat in it. No dark spots, no blood, nothing to get either one of us concerned, but he sent it off to pathology. And then two weeks later, I get a call from him. And as I mentioned, he was a friend. And the more difficulty he was having explaining what was going on, the more frightened I was becoming. Until finally, he just kind of hit me right between the eyes with it and laid it out. He said, Tara, I've been a doctor for 25 years. I have never seen this form of cancer. You have this rare form of melanoma, and I recommend you go to MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston and be treated. And so I did. You know, I had the bottom of my foot excised. I had all the lymph nodes in my groin removed. And then when I healed, my oncologist put me on a weekly injection of a drug called interferon. The side effects of interferon were that I had severe flu-like symptoms for two to three days every week after each injection. And I took those weekly injections for five years. So imagine having the flu every week for five years. And that wasn't a cure. That was, as my oncologist said, we're just trying to kick the can down the road. 2017, I ended up in the intensive care unit with a body temperature of 108 degrees because of the toxicity of the interferon. That's usually not compatible with being alive, but I was at a level one trauma center and they were able to stabilize me before they sent me to the intensive care unit. So obviously I couldn't take interferon anymore. uh, And that really, as soon as I stopped it, the cancer came back in the exact same area on my foot that it had presented five years earlier in 2012, which necessitated the amputation of my left foot in 2018. 2019, the cancer worked its way up my shin. I had two more surgeries then. And then 2020, right in the middle of this pandemic, um, an undiagnosed tumor kind of, I guess, in my ankle area, for lack of a better word, grew large enough that it fractured my tibia, my shin bone. And my only recourse was to have my left leg amputated. uh, And I also found out I had tumors in my lungs. So I'm being treated for those right now. And I know that sounds like a very dark and ugly story. And it is. But I'll tell you this much. Cancer has made me a better human being. You know, it made my dad a better human being, too, actually. I hated him too much to appreciate that fact. But I think cancer has a way. I, one thing I remember the most is how much it, oh, God. Um, I remember how much it humbled him after, you know, 30 days straight of brain radiation and, uh, Man, so weird. I I guess it's like, I don't take this wrong, but it's almost, you know, every once in a while on this show, I get to, you know, my guests that come on, they have a story. Everyone has a story. And every once in a while, it's like, you know, women that have been abused. um, You know, I, I, I hear those stories and that hits close to home because not only was I abused, but I was an abuser. I think, and I, and I have those moments where it's like getting to face something in my life that, you know, I would rather run from, you know, speaking to you is just reminding me of, of things with my father. So that's why I took a pause there. You know, I, it, it not only did it humble him, but I, my hatred towards him was, I, it was, you know, I kind of acted like he deserved it. 
you know, like you, you brought this on yourself. And, um, but that's really not the truth at all. And so I, I apologize about that. I got sidetracked. I just, you know, I, I just, I could just see him shuffling and still trying to play golf and still trying to do all the things that he loved to do, even though everything that he knew and everything that he was, was, was taken from him with the fight with cancer. Um, I, for, so I want to say this, I admire your courage to fight it, uh, and to keep like, to keep living, you know, and like you said, it made you a better person. What can you say about that though? Like, what was it about the cancer that shifted the man that you were to what you are now? I, I think a couple things. Um, I think first of all, it made me realize what's really important in life and and so much of what we get all excited about isn't really worth getting excited about it i mean do you really you know if you think about it do you whatever you're upset about right now do you really want to spend whatever time you have whatever resources whatever energy you have on, on being mad about that because for most of us when we think about it in that way the answer is no and so i i you know when you were talking about what your experience with your father and, and what you had gone through. I, I remember there was a nurse that, that I had that I, I am on a three week cycle. So I, I go to the hospital for a week and get a treatment and then I'm, I have two weeks off. And when I initially met this nurse, she was, she's very young, she's about 25 years old and she was already a nurse, but she was in training in my unit. And a couple months ago, she was taking care of me by herself. And she said, you know, Terry, I've got to, got a story I'd like to tell you, but I'm really uncomfortable telling you. And she's like, well, I, you know, it sounds like it might be an interesting story. I, I wish you would tell me. And so she did. And she said, uh, you know, when I first met you, I was going to get out of nursing. She said, I'd had a very good friend die and I was in a very dark place. And I talked to my mom and dad, I was going to quit nursing and I was going to go to work for Amazon. And she said, and then I met you. And I watch what you go through. I watch all the physical, the throwing up, the shaking, the fever, everything you go through every single day. And I read about your story and what you've been through. And she said, and I knew I was where I was supposed to be. Now, if she would have never told me that story, I would have had no idea that my life had had such a positive impact on her. And so I always ask people, you know, who's out there that's looking at Joshua, that's looking at Terry, that's looking at any member of your audience, then we give just about anything to walk in your shoes for one day. Oof. When I was in the 1970s, I was a big fan of a basketball coach at UCLA by the name of John Wooden. And John Wooden had a, had a saying that went like this, a careful person I want to be, a little person follows me. I dare not go astray for fear they may go the same way. So I, I always remember that. It's like, who's watching me? Who, who is looking at me and saying, I want to be like Terry? Even all the crap that I've been through, who wants to be like me? And when I think about that, you know, on those dark days, on those ugly days, when I'm, when I'm in, inside myself and, I, you know, and I'm not happy and things are going bad, I always remember. It's like, you know what? When you have those days, what you need to do is get out. Get out of yourself. Get out of your head and get out there and find somebody you can help. Find somebody whose life you can make a difference in. And when you do that, the focus, the emphasis is not on you. It's on helping other people. Man, that's so true. And that that aligns so much with what we talk about. We're, we're big on the unfiltered truth, you know, the supernatural power of truth. And, of course, I'm 
blessed to carry that message and share that message because I was such a horrible liar. Um, I, you know, I don't, this is not about me uh, at all. I'm just relating to what you're saying. We share so much about how important it is to share your truth with people because your story, your testimony, however you want to word it, is enough to set people free. And if even give somebody hope for a day. And I think about when I was like, I was, I was homeless and I was about to give up. And I'll never forget, I had a little bit of cash left and I knew what I was going to do with that cash. And that would have been hopefully my demise, or at least that's what I was thinking at the time. It was going to be enough drugs that I could inject that I could go out like a rock star. Was what I, that was my goals at the time. And I got a phone call that changed the course of my life forever. And I just think about that opportunity, which that opportunity, which was small and it was serving, mind you, it wasn't money, it wasn't a home, it wasn't any of those things. It was an opportunity. And that little opportunity to go serve somewhere, mind you, it was a you know Hollywood event, but who cares? It's still serving. That opened the door for everything I am blessed to do today, and I didn't kill myself. And, and I'm so grateful for that, but it was somebody reaching out. But even that, which is not sharing your story or sharing your truth or any of that, but we all have this role to play in life. And sometimes it's sharing our story. Sometimes it's just going to serve or sometimes it's giving somebody an opportunity because you never know what that's going to do in their life. So I love what you're doing, but I, I got to go back to this. You, it sounds like you were living a pretty busy life. I, I'm not just busy, but I mean, a hospital administrator, SWAT team negotiator, college basketball. Was well, you a college basketball coach too? And no, high school played, basketball coach. Okay, but you played college basketball. I did. Okay. So, I mean, you had a pretty full and busy, active life leading into all this. So, like, talk – like, where – College basketball. So obviously you were good at basketball. How did you lead into SWAT team negotiator? Yeah, it, it, it's kind of a funny story. And, and it, the backstory really kind of makes my resume ha have a little bit more of an understanding. So uh, yeah, my grandfather was a Chicago police officer from 1924 to 1954. So he was in Chicago during Prohibition when alcohol was outlawed in the United States during the Great Depression, you know, the end of the 20s or into the 30s, and during the gangs, Al Capone and all those guys shooting up the town. And he was actually shot in the line of duty with his own gun. It wasn't a serious injury. He was shot in the ankle. But my dad always remembered the stories that my grandmother told of that knock on the door of Mrs. Tucker, grab your son, come with us. Your husband's been shot. So when I expressed an interest in going into law enforcement, my dad was like, oh, no, 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 no. You're going to go to college. You're going to major in business. You're going to get out. You're going to get a great job. You're going to get married, have 2.4 kids. My dad had my entire life planned out, but it was the life that my dad wanted me to live. So when I graduated from college, you know, I was all set to make my mark on the world with my newly obtained business administration degree. And, you know, I look back now and realize kind of what a knucklehead I was to think I knew anything about business just because I had a degree. But I found that first job in the corporate headquarters of Wendy's International, the hamburger chain, in their marketing department. That was the good news. The bad news was I, I lived with my parents for the next three and a half years 
is I helped my mom care for my father and my grandmother who are dying of different forms of cancer. So I graduate from college and I have two choices. I could go blaze my own trail and say, sorry, dad, I'm going to go do what I want to do. Or out of love and respect for you, I will do what you want me to do. So if you look at those first two jobs, they're both business related jobs. And I sort of joke, I did what every good son did. I waited till my father passed away and I followed my own dreams. So my first two jobs were in business. And then I made that major pivot to what I believe was my purpose, my passion, why, my why, whatever you want to call it, to being in law enforcement. And I was a 37-year-old rookie policeman, which by most accounts is pretty old to get into that kind of, kind of line of work. But then I, you know, I, I was an undercover narcotics investigator, but I always wanted to be part of the best. And so when there was an opening on SWAT, there was a negotiator opening, I put in for it because SWAT gets the best training, they get the best equipment, and I wanted to be part of the best. And that's how I became a hostage negotiator. They do have really great equipment. But, okay, I want to – so how do I ask this question without having you want to shoot me? Um, yeah, just ask it. Don't worry about it. You're well, not going to offend me. Well, I mean, it's really about how to frame the question because I've, I've done, again, going back to my former life. I mean, I've run scams with old CIA guys, and like, I've done some bad stuff in the dark web. I've been involved in the drug world. I've, I mean, I in human trafficking, I've seen some really crazy stuff in my life. One thing I really learned and what he one thing I've learned from being in that world is that when you're there, you get to meet a lot of people that work for the government. You get to work, you know, that are double agents, if you will. And I mean, you see a lot of stuff when you're in when you. Having that job is not only I mean, I know it's more uh, hostage negotiation, but even working in law enforcement, when you are exposed to two sides of evil, meaning you see the evil that is in the good, like the good, the guy that are supposed to be the good guys. And then you see some bad guys where you're like, he's actually kind of a good dude. He's just caught up in some bad stuff. And then you, of course, you get the evil, evil guys. So it's almost like you have both sides of the coin working against each other. I think I'm just painting this right. But for you, because you seem like a good dude and I mean, were you aware of all this? I guess what I'm getting at is, were you aware that, you know, there's evils on all sides of this war that you're fighting? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I wasn't, you know, I mean, I grew up on the south side of Chicago. So I, I you know, I, I was pretty aware of, you know, I, I mean, I had a great family and my, you know, I had a intact mom and dad and all that kind of stuff. So I, I had the benefits, but I also, you know, I played basketball with guys that, you know, I, I remember when I was I went to college at the Citadel, which is a military college yeah, in South Carolina. Yeah. And in one summer, I, I stayed down in South Carolina to work and play basketball. And I worked in a barrel factory. So 55 gallon drums. And, you know, it's Charleston, South Carolina in the middle of summer. So it's 100 degrees and it's 100 percent humidity. And yeah. we're unloading these big semis full of barrels and we're outside and we're working. And half the guys I'm working with are ex-cons. I mean, we got paid every Friday because there were a lot of times on Monday, several of the guys didn't come back because they got arrested or, you know, they got killed or whatever the situation was. So, yeah, I was pretty I had a pretty good understanding that, you know, life isn't always fair. And, and I remember there was a guy who um, my, my, we, my partner and I ran a, a pretty much an entirely black neighborhood, a black beat when we were in uniform in a marked car. 
and it, a lot of drugs, a lot of guns, a lot of violence. And we had this one guy, uh, for lack of a better word, I should call him Peanut. And Peanut was, he hung around with the bad guys, but Peanut wasn't a bad guy. He His big deal was he drove without having a license, which in Ohio was a misdemeanor of the first degree. So one night, my partner and I, we roll up on the dope boys and they all kind of spread out. And Peanut's there and we, we grab him. We put him in the back of our car and we take him up to the tennis courts by the high school. And I'm sure he was scared to death. And we pulled him out. And we're like, here's the deal. Listen to what we're going to tell you before you say anything. You owe $500 to the state of Ohio to get your driver's license reinstated. My partner and I are willing to pay that $500 for you. Secondly, we know somebody that will get you, your, uh, get you into a course so you can get your GED. You can get your high school diploma. And thirdly, we've got a guy that can get you a job. Now, that's what we're offering you right now. If you keep hanging out with these knuckleheads, you're going to go nowhere. What do you say? And he said no. And my partner and I ended up going to the drug unit, and we kind of lost touch. But we heard about a year and a half later that Peanut pulled an armed robbery, and he was doing 15 years in the Ohio Penitentiary for, for that armed robbery. Now, we gave a decent guy in a bad situation a way out. He chose not to take it. And you know this. Life is about the choices that we make. Life oh. doesn't owe you anything. You're unique, but you're not special. So you know what? When, you know, it's kind of the old, you know, when God closes, you know, one door, he opens another one. Well, he opened one for Peanut. Peanut decided not to walk through. Yeah, I'm very fortunate. Another thing I'm grateful for today is that I'm getting the opportunity to redo decisions that I made, you know, years ago or redo decisions that I had made before that I suffered great consequences for. It's amazing how life works that way. And I'm fortunate because I think about all my overdoses. I think about the sketchy situations I was in that I put myself in. And I had people do what you did for me, but I was too wrapped up in running for my demons, running for myself and everything else to even be able to have the ears to hear. And it breaks my heart to hear that. Um, I remember working, speaking of Chicago, there's an event. It's actually getting ready to happen this, no, next month, called The Power of We. And I was at blessed to speak, our MC it a couple years ago. And I got to meet a lot of the inner city uh, school kids and hearing about how they get bussed into school and hearing about all of that, which shocked me. Am I going, you know, I'm used to. My, either my mom taking me to school when I was young or mm -hmm. the school bus getting me and taking me five minutes to school, not being bussed in two hours, not being like at ungodly hours. And what's expected of some of these inner city kids or these inner city kids that go to school that are not in private school is more than most adults are willing to do just to go to work. But these kids are having to do it every single day as if that's not one problem. Then they have the problem with their community. And let's go to peanut. If they ever say, I want to be a police officer, I want to be a motivational speaker, I want to be a best-selling author, I want to be anything that takes them out of the neighborhood and away from the lifestyle, they have people in their own community and their own families that say, Who the hell do you think you are? You think you're you think you're too good for us? You don't want to you, you think you're you're you and like you want to get an education and leave? I mean, that's basically what they're saying. And so these kids feeling the pressure from their family and their community say, okay, I'm going to stay. And they give up on their dreams. Therefore this generational cycle of poverty, of addiction, of abuse, 
of gangbanging, of violence, and all that crap continues. So as somebody that comes from that life, and I know, I know what you're doing now, and we're going to get to that, what can we do? I mean, I know, like with us, with our foundation, we, we created a nonprofit media organization to be able to provide media trainings and teachings and resources to inner city youth, or even people with troubled past like myself, because I believe with media, well, you can monetize anything. You can make any, you can make your dreams come true with media. And that's why we do it. That, that Chicago trip inspired us or inspired what we're doing now. But even that, not everybody wants to learn media. So it's like, well, crap, what do you do? What can we do to make this better? Yeah, that, that's a great question, Joshua. And and I don't know, you know, I mean, much smarter minds than I have, have, have you know, tried to, to deal with this. I, I guess I can, I, you, you, you've got to want it. I, I, I was very fortunate to go to a Catholic high school in Chicago. I, I went to Marist and my brother has been the principal and is now the president of, of that school and has been for, for more than 20, 22 years now. And one day the, the Marist brothers asked him, if he would go to Guatemala and check out the Marist high school there. And he's like, you know, okay, I've really never been to, you know, a third world country, but sure I'll go. So he, he goes to the, to the, you know, gets off the airplane 11 o'clock at night, you know, in Guatemala city, there's nobody in the airport except all these armed guards with AK 47s. He's put into a, an armed caravan that take him to the Marist brothers community. He said, I, I went past all these businesses and that, that were, you know, had armed guards in front of them. And he said, then we ended up the next day going up into the mountains, into the, to the Marist high school there. And he said, I'm talking to the principal. And he's like, you know, how do you handle, you know, bullying and suicide and drugs and all this kind of stuff. And the principal kind of looked at him like, what, what do you, what do you mean? What, what are you talking about? He's like, well, how do you, how do you handle it with your high school kids, you know, bullying and, and, and he's like, no, you don't understand. He's like, these kids are here because they want to be. It's kind of the, you know, do you have to or do you get to? You know, do you have to go to school or do you get to? For these kids, they get to go to school because they understand that the only way out of I'm living in a dirt hut with no air conditioning or no heat, you know, and my, my average family income is $1 a day. The only way out of that is an education. So they don't have bullying. They don't have drugs. They don't have mental illness. They don't have suicide because these kids are like, I've got to do this. This is my only way out. I have no other options. For us here in the United States, even if you're in poverty, there's all kinds of programs for you. There's all kinds of things that the government gives you to keep you down, to keep you like, hey, you know what? I'll keep this, but I'm not going to work my butt off to get out of here. And I think it goes back to what I said before. The world doesn't owe you a thing. You are unique but you are not special. If you want something in life, figure out what that is, figure out what you need to do to get it, and then go after it with dogged determination. That's the only way we get things in this life. I 100% agree with you. And everything I've been given, like just handed and didn't earn, it went up my nose or smoke in the air or, you know, whatever. It would just... Ugh, man, you're right about that. I mean, it, like even inheritance is a dangerous thing. I mean, people play the lottery and all that, but like I don't play it because I'm scared to know what would happen. You know, like I didn't do anything to earn that. And then, yeah. it, and then for it just screws with your brain. But 
when you work for something, dadgummit, you know, like you, you tend to treasure and honor it and you're a better steward of it because you know how freaking hard it was to get it. So yeah. I, I love that. So, okay. Hospital administration, SWAT team, coach. What? So when, why did you leave the SWAT team? Uh, or I, I think you said you went into drugs, correct? Not dealing drugs. That's an interesting way of putting it. <laughs> you went into fighting against drugs. Why did you leave that line of work to go into what you're doing now? And I know the answer is probably a little bit obvious, but will you talk about that journey, please? Sure. So when my wife married me, I was a you know suit and tie, eight to five, Monday through Friday, hospital administrator. And we had moved to California. And I just happened to come across this circular that was from Santa Barbara City College. And I started looking through it. I never looked through these things. And I, I looked through it and it's like, oh, here's this class. If you take this class, you can apply to be a reserve police officer with any jurisdiction within the state of California. And so, you know, you can imagine how this conversation one night at dinner went. Hey, uh, honey, uh, I know I'm doing this, but I would like to do this. Would you support me? <laughs> and she was like, sure, try it. Go ahead. Take the class. So I took the class and I was very fortunate to get on with the Santa Barbara uh, City Police Department. And I worked with a full time uniformed officer. And my wife used to say you would work all week at your regular job. Come home on Friday night, put on your uniform, go to roll call and then work all night without sleeping and then come home Saturday morning with this huge grin on your face. And I knew that's what you were supposed to do. So when our daughter was born and we moved to Cincinnati, I said to her, look, I wanna do this full time. And so I did. So she supported me in that. And then she ended up losing her job and she's always been the primary breadwinner. I mean, you know, cops don't make a ton of money. And so she lost her job in Cincinnati, couldn't find one. We ended up having to move to Houston so that necessitated that I get out of being a police officer. And, you know, there were so many, not so many, but there were enough officers that I met in Cincinnati that their whole identity was tied to that gun and that badge. You know, they've been cops for 35, 40 years, and they couldn't retire because without the job, they were nobody, or at least they thought they were nobody in their minds. And I wasn't like that. I was like, yes, I love this. Yes, this is my passion. But you know what? I'll find something else to do. I've got, you know, an undergraduate degree, a master's degree. I've been to law school. I've got all this training. You know what? I'll figure something out. And that's how I started my, my school security consulting business. And I also decided I was going to coach our daughter, who fortunately or unfortunately got my height and an NBA three-point shot and was uh, ended up going to the Air Force Academy to, uh, uh, to play basketball. How proud are you? Oh, you have no idea. I, I mean, the day she walked across that stage, received her diploma, and shook hands with the president of the United States, I mean, you could have put me in the ground right then. I'm like, you know what? I'm good. Things are great. Man, that's so cool. I, I can't imagine what that – well, of course, I get – you know, when the, we have a five – uh, my wife, I'm blessed now to have two daughters with her. Um, they're not mine, but I still claim them mm -hmm. at five and six. And I, I mean, just the little things that they do when we go to gymnastics and, you know, I see their progress, that feeling, uh, is so incredible. So, I mean, with something so little and then now air force Academy, like, I can't imagine, I wouldn't be able to, I would be weeping my eyes out. I wouldn't be able to handle it. 
That's so cool. I was. <laughs> I was, believe me. <laughs> I Yeah, that's, man, that's so cool. And that must mean you're a pretty dadgum good coach, too. So kudos to you. Thank you. Um, so I want to talk about your book. Um, I, re- I, I forgot the name of it, forgive me, and I don't have notes, but it it inspired just the, the title of it reminded me of a book that was very instrumental in my life. Um, the Bible and this other book are like the two books that I can read at any time. But when I remember when I first read it, it kind of gave me that same feeling inside about, hey, you want to read this. Tell everybody the name of the book and, and talk a little bit about what it's about, if you don't mind. Sure. So the book is called Sustainable Excellence, The Ten Principles to Leading Your Uncommon and Extraordinary Life. And the book was really born out of two conversations I had. One was with a former player of mine that I coached in high school who had moved to Colorado, where my wife and I live. And we had had dinner with her and her fiance. And I remember saying to her one night, you know, I'm really excited that you're living close and I can watch you find and live your purpose. And she got real quiet for a while and she looked at me and she's like, well, coach, what do you think my purpose is? I said, I have no idea what your purpose is, but that's what your life should be about. Find the reason that God puts you on the face of this earth. Use your unique gifts and talents and live that reason. So that was one conversation. And then I had a young man in college who reached out to me on social media. And he said, you know, what do you think are the things I need to know, not to just be successful in my or in my job or in business, but to be successful in life overall? And I didn't want to give him the, you know, get up early, work hard, help others. Not that those aren't important. They are incredibly important. But I wanted to see if I could go deeper with him. So I thought about it for a while and I, I wrote some notes and eventually I had these 10 ideas, these 10 thoughts, these 10 principles. And so I sent them to him. And then I kind of stepped back and I was like, you know, I got a life story that fits underneath this principle or I know somebody's life who emulates that principle. So literally during the three month period that I was healing from having my leg amputated and when I started the chemotherapy for the tumors in my lungs, I sat down at the computer every day and I built stories and they're real stories. They're they're not made up. They're real people, you know, real events. And I I built these stories underneath each of the principles and that's how sustainable excellence came to be. Do you, can you, can you rattle off the 10 principles? No, I'll give you a couple. And and it's always, you know, it's, it's it's fun for me as an author because the, the principles are not in any order. You know, number one isn't any more important than number seven or anything. But when people read the book, there's always one principle that resonates with, with people. And, and it's funny because, I mean, I, I wrote the book. I, I wrote the 10 principles. But there's one that resonates with me, too. And, and I'll give that to you. And it's this. Because each, each principle is a chapter. The chapter is most people think with their fears and their insecurities True. instead of using their minds. And I know I've done that. I know I've been guilty of, of that many times in my life where, I, you know, I wanted to do something. And I always recommend to people, especially young people, if there's something in your heart, something in your soul that you believe you're supposed to do, but it scares you, go ahead and do it. Because at the yeah. end of your life, the things you're going to regret are not going to be the things you did. They're going to be the things you didn't do. And by then it's going to be too late to go back and do them. So that's one. There's another one about the importance of listening. And, and, and that's a chapter that really comes out of my hostage negotiation days. And, and you know, as a policeman, 99% of what you do is face to face with another person. 
But as a negotiator, we weren't with that person. You know, they could be blocks away. We're talking on the phone. They could be behind a locked door. And, you know, we had to figure things out based on what people were saying, what they weren't saying and how they were saying it. And so much in society today, you know, we we listen to respond. It's like, you know, hurry up, Joshua, say what you're going to say, because I want to get my two cents in here as opposed to listening to understand. And I think if we did a better job of listening to understand, whether we agree or not agree with each other, but listening to say, okay, Joshua, I hear what you're saying. Why are you saying that? Let's talk about that. We could do so much more than just screaming at each other right now, because when we're screaming at each other, nobody hears anything. Yeah. And I, and I, that is something that I have to fight myself with wanting to do. One, it's because like with, even with interviewing, You'll, I, I, the reason why I don't script anything is what I really like to be dependent on the Holy Spirit for everything I do, because I'm pretty lousy at what I do. Uh, but with the Holy Spirit, I tend to do a better job. But also, if I'm married to a script, and again, I can give you a hundred reasons why, but I always think about, well, if I'm married to the script and then somebody says something interesting that piques another idea, well, I want to talk about that. And then, but if I have to stay on these questions, well, that's not very fun anyway. And I want to enjoy doing it. But you're right about that. Like when I talk to my wife, she'll say to me sometimes, I just want you to hear me. I'm like, but you asked me a question. Like, or you said that you, the way you interpreted what I said was this. And, but so I'm wanting to explain myself that, hey, I know, no, this isn't right. But really all she's wanting me to do is just listen. And she's right. And then I think about racism. I think about the discrimination. I think about the prejudices that people have, the um, the assumptions that we make based off of other people's information. And then we go in and judge whatever, whether it's a, a race or the sexuality or whatever, a religion. And we're, we've gotten to this thing where we're getting all of this information we just assume is fact and then we project it on others. We're not even... We don't have the energy or the bandwidth in our brain because it's so overloaded with other people's information to be able to listen. And I bet we would find out that we're really not a bunch of racist, you know, discriminative, or if that's even a word, you know, people. Uh, it just, and it breaks my heart. And I think that the, so many of these voices that are screaming to be heard really just want to be heard and they have the right to be heard. But I, I would much rather hear people's truth that was based on something from their heart as opposed to a truth that came through the media box. So in that, with that, all of that said, in, your, in writing this, this, that principle, did you find anything that you could suggest that would make people a better listener and being able to receive information, even if they don't like it? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that we did as negotiators is we would we would listen to what you were saying, and then we would basically parrot it back to you with a feeling attached to it. So, I mean, if somebody's telling me, you know, I don't know, you know, this guy did something. I, I mean, and he's really the thing about a negotiator is you got to get out in the dirt. I mean, you can't be up here. I mean, if a guy's telling you and he's pouring out his heart. And you say, oh, you seem to be upset. You, you totally miss that. It's like you are so pissed off. I mean, you've got to get down there with those people. And so a lot of times I'll recommend to people that 
spend spend one day with a friend of yours, whoever whoever you feel comfortable with, and every time they talk, and tell them you're going to do this. I mean, because it, it's kind of weird in a way. Every time they talk, stop for a minute, think about what they just said, paraphrase what they're saying back to them, and attach a feeling to it. And if you do that, that's a way that's a way to connect with people because it's more than just the words. It's the feeling. And the other thing I think we need to do, and and we're not very good at it, and I wasn't great at it when I started it as a negotiator, was to be able to manage silence. Because as human beings, we don't like silence. If you and I are having a conversation and there's sort of that pregnant pause where you're not talking and I'm not talking, it's uncomfortable. We're like, okay, you know, hurry up, Joshua, say something, or or I'm going to have to say something. You need to be comfortable. And we need to be comfortable with that silence. So we're talking to somebody. We ask them an open-ended question. They're talking, and all of a sudden, they stop talking. Now, we want to fill that silence. Oh, wait a minute. I got to say something. But we got good at not saying a word because then they'll start filling the silence. They'll start talking again. And I I describe what we did kind of like as a teeter-totter. When we started negotiating with somebody, their emotional side was way up in the air and their rational side was down on the ground. And what we needed to do is get them to burn off a lot of that emotional energy so that that teeter-totter would come to equilibrium. And then hopefully over time, their rational side would be up on in the air and their emotional side would be down on the ground. Because you and I both know this, we make better decisions when we're using our rational brain than we do using our emotional brain. Yeah, that's true. So that, you know, it's funny too, because I, I, therapists have never worked for me. And I, there's, there's a few reasons why. Some of it was trust. Some of it was that I found myself getting triggered by them or I found myself trying to manipulate them. <laughs> and when I found out that I was better at manipulating them than I was actually being a good patient, I was like, this is not going to work for me. But I am fortunate that the journey that the Lord is taking on, taking me on to heal. One of those things was putting a spotlight on my shadow work, meaning I just told everything, everything that most people keep hidden. I talked about it and I did that because why, as I said earlier, I was a chronic liar. My double life had a double life. If you can imagine that, which I could, I'm sure you could be in the drug world. Um, like, there's like, how many depths of hell are there? I was searching for all of them. That's where my lives were. Anyway, with all that said, one of the things that had happened for me was God told me after a relapse that I had that I want you to put a spotlight on your shadow world. You don't get the luxury of secrets anymore. You're going to share all of it. <laughs> but that was five years ago, four years ago. Anyway, what I found was the, the remembering the suicidal attacks that I was having, um, that I was paralyzed for two days with it. And all of a sudden I heard the whisper talk about it. I found that there's so much power in just being able to talk about it. Even the bad day and some of the, the thoughts and the desires and the other things that would creep in my brain, even to this day, where it's like, ah, and like, I want to shut it down because it's all the enemy or it's, it's me wanting to go back to an old life. I find that just being able to talk about it relieves so much of that energy that you were talking about where my teeter-totter is up here And it levels it out and I go, oh, maybe I don't want to go put meth in my nose right now. Or maybe I don't want to go 
do any of the wild things that I would normally do, or maybe I don't want to go punch that person in the face, or maybe I don't want to run, run my run out of a window. You know, I mean, like any any of those thoughts, and we all get them. But I found for me, there's so much relief in just being able to talk about it, and and you know, and, and back to what you were saying before, and being heard. Being heard does help because that gives us that sense of human connection. So that those are two powerful things. How, how did being a hostage negotiator translate into your everyday life now? And like what, what areas of your life did, did you see it improve the most? And what areas have you had to step back and go, okay, this is not a hostage situation, so I'm not going to use this technique right now? Yeah, that's, that's a that's a great question. I, I mean, as a you know, as a police officer, and certainly when I worked undercover narcotics, you know, there's you, you really kind of wanted to fly underneath the radar. You know, you didn't you didn't tell people what you did. You know, you you know what what do you do? I, I work for the city. You know, you were very kind of nondescript about what you did, even though what you did was pretty cool. And most yeah. people would be like, "Tell me about it." And like, no, yeah, I, I don't want to tell you about it because. I don't want you knowing about what I do and things like that. So this this whole, you know, being on podcast, kind of opening my heart, you know, telling my story is really kind of foreign for me. I, I don't it's uncomfortable. I don't like doing it, but it's in a lot of ways, you know, I, I, I we were talking about the book a minute ago and. You know, when I was when I had my leg amputated, literally, I was you know kind of looking at the ceiling. I I had no goals. I, I had no idea where I was going with my life. Was I going to die? What you know? And I would literally look at the ceiling and be like, "All right, God, what do you want? What where am I going with this?" And mm. you know, there's sort of that old joke that says, "When we talk to God, it's it's called prayer. When God talks to us, it's called schizophrenia." So I'm not going <laughs> to tell you know I, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that God talked to me, but I think what God did. And God has done this a lot of times in my life, has put people in my path that have made suggestions. Hey, maybe I'll write a book. Hey, maybe I'll write a book. Hey, maybe I'll write a book. And when enough people say that, and I don't know what enough people is, you know, there just comes a time when you're like, hmm, maybe I ought to buck up and kind of take this to heart. So I always say, you know, I wrote the book, but I really think in a lot of ways it was inspired by God. You know, God was like, hey, dummy, just sit down at the computer and type these words that I'm going to put in your brain and we're going to have a book because I want I want my word to get out there. And, yeah. and I, in a lot of ways, I think that's what what he did. So, you know, being a cop, being a negotiator, I mean, I, I, I really listen to what people say. But in all honesty, I listen to what people don't say. And, and that's one thing as a negotiator. There were a lot of times we'd spend hours over here talking with somebody about something when the real problem was over here. And they just needed to burn off all this emotional energy before we could get to the point where now it's time to talk about the real reason that we're here. And I mean, and you, you've been through this in your life. Think about Think about the worst times in your life. And here I come as a negotiator. I don't know you. I don't know your story. I don't know your background. But, oh, here, try to talk this guy out or try to talk this guy off the ledge. That's not fair to me. You know, and about 90 percent of the time we were successful at it. But about 10 percent of the time, the person ended up ending their life. And, you know, people were like, well, how would you feel about that? I'm like, I didn't lose any sleep over that. 
I mean, I knew I had great training. I worked with great people. I, I did the very best I could to make this situation end in a positive way. But again, going back to choices in life, it was your choice to shoot yourself. It was your choice to end your life. I did everything I could to try to get you out. But, you know, it's not fair to, to any negotiator in any police department or the FBI or whatever it is to say, all right, this problem that's been festering for, you know, 40 years, 50 years, 30 years, 10 years, whatever it is. And now this hostage negotiator is going to come in and try to solve the problem. That's it's not realistic and it's not fair in a lot of ways. I agree with that. Wow. Why don't you, why haven't you started a podcast? I, you know, it's funny because people have said that, like, and my response is because I'm old and I can barely turn my cell phone on in the morning. So, I, literally, when I started my blog, people were like, "You just start a blog." You start. I'm like, I, I, I can't turn my cell phone on in the morning. Like, no, you just start. My blog was four pages long. Four pages it took me four months. My 25 year old daughter could have probably done it in 15 minutes, but it took me four months to figure out all the stuff that I didn't know to put it actually up on a screen and get it out there for people to look at. Well, you know, you can actually pay people to do the podcast thing for you, right? Where you just step behind a mic. Anyway, I'm just saying like, I, there's a lot of hosts out there and everybody has the good news for you is good news for you. You have a face for TV and your voice works on radio. So, you know, I, there's a lot of intellectual property there that extends the book, extends everything that you've done all of your lessons on the SWAT team, being a college athlete, knowing, I mean, the discipline side of it. And really what I see is just a well-rounded experience in life and then, and then the wisdom that you carry and the situations you've been faced with. There's just so much value there that, you know, either you need to be on a show podcast every single day of the week or dead gummit, start your own. Because even, even the questions that you would ask, as a podcast host are going to be different than what we're used to hearing. You know, part of the reason why I don't want to script anything is because I don't want to ask the same questions. I would just rather instinctively have this conversation. But anyway, I, I hope that I'm not, I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only one that's told you this. You're not. I, okay. Well, like your book, you know, maybe pay attention to that. Cause I think that you would have a really, 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 really successful podcast. Well, thank so, you. So, okay. So what is it that, what are you working on now that you're excited about and that you're ready to share with people? So I, I guess, um, that's a podcast. Yeah. I'm, it's not a podcast. Sorry. But <laughs> what people have been suggesting to me for quite a while is that I should start a membership program that, you know, yeah, the book is great, but people want, more. And, and I am, again, you know, I'm the kind of person who's like, I don't like to share. I don't want to share, but in a lot of ways, I kind of feel I'm being called to share. So I'm actually working on a membership program where, where in some ways I can monetize this. And, and you know, I, I didn't write the book. I don't do this, this stuff to make money. I do it to try to make a difference in people's lives, to try to help people that a lot of times I never even know, you know, I mean, I wrote the book. I'm like, is the book any good? I had an 87 year old man who, who bought the book, read the book and then reached out to me. And he's like, you know, if I would have had those principles when I was younger, I would have had a much better life. And I was so glad he said that to me because, you know, I, I've never written, I've never had a book published before or anything like that. I didn't know anything about that. So, 
I guess I'd like to work on a second book. I'm sort of working on a second book, sort of, that the first book was about success. How can we be successful in life? How can you be successful? The second book I'd like to work on is a book that also kind of talks about another word that begins with S, and that is significance. Success is what we do for ourselves. Significance is what we do for other people. Now, don't get me wrong. I think you can be both. You can be successful and significant. But I think I think you said this before. I mean, our purpose in life should be to serve, to yeah. serve our God, to serve our fellow man, you know, to serve ourselves in, in, in a particular way. But to serve, that's what life should be about. And I think if you do that, you're a whole lot more happier. So that second book is kind of what where I'm going with that in addition to the membership program. All right. Well, I'm going to probably keep bugging you about your uh, podcast and uh, <laughs> because I want to hear it. Uh, that said, tell everybody where they can buy your book now and how they can follow you and support your journey. So Sustainable Excellence is pretty much available anywhere you can get a book online. It's available at Amazon, BarnesandNoble.com, Apple iBooks. I mean, it's an ebook, paperback and hardcover. Um, I, I mentioned my blog. I have a blog. I, every day I put up a, a thought for the day. And with that thought for the day comes a usually a question as how you can apply that thought to your life. Uh, on Mondays, I put up the Monday morning motivational message, which a lot of times is a video that I find or a story that I've heard that I think will help people. Uh, so my, my blog is called Motivational Check. So motivationalcheck.com will get you to me. You can leave me a message. You can get access to my social media sites. Pretty much anything you want regarding me is available at motivationalcheck.com. Well, I love it. And I listen, I, I love what you're doing. Um, you Wait, you coach too, right? I, I don't, actually. This is, I mean, I'm, I'm lucky to be able to do this I'm, on my off weeks when I'm not in therapy. I mean, my therapy really kind of beats me up. So my wife and I kind of have a running battle of, you need to rest. And I'm like, I get plenty of rest when I'm dead. I, these podcasts energize me. And so pretty much what I do is this right now. Okay. Well, I, I love that you're at least doing this. And I'm, I'm glad that you were here today because, I mean, it's inspired me. I can't wait to read your book uh, because it, I mean, it sounds important. And those foundations, look, we don't know what we don't know. Right. And that's one of the, the great and, and amazing things about technology is it allows us to pursue other pieces of information or to to seek knowledge with at no cost a lot of the time. And then, but at the same time, then you have books like yours that in, when people that have written that have had the, the depth of, of life experience that you've had from such a variety of walks of life that that inspires me to want to know more and also what is fueling you because Look, I mean, people get ingrown toenails and they want to stay home for a week and feel sorry for themselves. You've lost limbs and you're still out spreading the gospel, so to speak, in a way that is is helping change the world. And I admire you for that because, you know, what I didn't share with you before is for 18 years, I worked with complex disabilities um, before I worked, started working in entertainment and media and all that. What I got to see and experience in those 18 years forever changed me. Um, and because I got to see kind of both sides of the coin going back to that expression, but you, I, I got to see the, the quadriplegics or the amputees or the, 
the, the patients with ALS or muscular sclerosis or uh, cerebral palsy and wounds and so on. I got to see all of that. I got to see the people that go, you know what? Screw that. It's not going to stop me. I'm still going to skydive. I, one of my friends that I grew up with and unfortunately passed, but I grew up with, you know, while he was going through his healing journey um, or not healing, but he was a quadriplegic, but using a power wheelchair, but his journey when he goes, you know what? I'm not done skydiving. And sure enough, he went skydiving in his wheelchair. Most inspiring things I've ever seen. And then I've seen the other side of it with somebody with the same exact condition say, screw it, and they become junkies. And, and, it, and in some breath, it's like, well, I, you know what? I don't know how I respond to this. I'd throw, I, I don't know what I would do. And yet I meet people like you now that have taken what, what this hardship and turned it into purpose. That's inspiring. That's a reason to read your book. That's a reason to read your blogs. So I'm so grateful for your time today. Grateful for what you do. And uh, I hope, I really, really do hope that you not only get that other book written, but you do start that podcast because the world needs wisdom uh, and uh, inspiration that you deliver. So I, I'm super grateful for you. Well, Josh, thank you for having me on. I'll I'll leave you with kind of this story. I had a, I had a nurse recently asked me, you know, what was it like to have my, my leg amputated and my foot amputated? And I told her, I said, it hasn't been easy. I said, but what, I, what I've learned is that cancer can take all my physical faculties, but cancer mm. can't touch my mind, it can't touch my heart, and it can't touch my soul. And that's who I am. That's who you are. This is just a vessel. This is just a house to house who we really are. So don't get too excited, you know, if you've got to have chemo and you're going to lose your, your hair. Who cares? Nobody cares. I mean, there's a lot of beautiful bald people walking around. So yeah. that's not who you are. Who you are is your heart, your mind, and your soul. If you remember that, you'll realize that this stuff doesn't really matter. Amen. Beautifully said. Terry Tucker, thank you so much. God bless you. And uh, look forward to talking to you again. Thank you, Joshua. I appreciate it. Take care, man. What an inspiring that that what an inspiring guy, um, and again, like I meant it. Like I don't know how I would do how I would cope with that. I mean, I get frustrated when I don't go to the gym. I mean, when COVID shut the gyms down, it was like I, I threw a fit about that. And yet, I'm like, well, I could have worked out in the stairwell, but it, eventually I did. But I think about these little things that you know twist my attitude and you know like get my panties in a bunch, so to speak. These little petty things. Like, I'm frustrated right now at the fact that it's snowing again in Minnesota. Like, I mean, I know I live here, but I just moved here from California, you know? And, like, and I'm like, I'm like, I'm ready to see the sunshine. I'm ready to go to the beach. I'm ready for all these things. And, like, I'm letting the weather affect me, which is silly because I'm looking out my window right now, and it's absolutely gorgeous. I could be focusing on the fact that it's gorgeous out. And uh, mind you, I'm just using this as a small example. And but we, I, I think that a lot of us struggle with this is what we let these little stupid things get in the way of our thinking of all of we have, all that we have to be grateful for, all the blessings in our life. And he's right. Cancer's attacking his body, but he's got his mind, his heart, and soul, and God is clearly using it. I love that. And you know what? He helped change my attitude today because I've been cranky. <laughs> I'm cranky. I'm watching, you know, I mean, it's just, 
Like I'm letting what's happening around the world get to me. It hurts my heart. I'm seeing people being set up to, to be deceived and being led astray. People putting their hope and faith in people that are only going to let them down. Why I'm letting that affect me, I don't know. Because what he said about the hostages, you know, the, the when he was hostage negotiating, you know, he's done his part. He's, he's done everything possible to try to help. But if the person doesn't want to help themselves, what can you do? So he helped me a lot. This, there was a lot of things that he said today uh, that inspired me. And so I'm grateful for him. I hope you guys enjoyed the broadcast today. I hope you got something out of it. I want to encourage you to check out his book. You can go to livemonoworldwide.org. You'll be able to see you know, all the different ways that he mentioned that you can buy his book, the way that you can contact him and follow his journey and support what he's doing. But the world needs more men like him. Uh, I, I just I, I believe it with all my heart. So I'm so grateful uh, that Terry joined us today. All right, folks, truly, truly appreciate you. Um, you all have a blessed day and a blessed evening wherever you're watching right now. And um, we'll see you next time. God bless you. Mm -hmm.